Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Stephen Horowitz, a partner at Cleary, Gottlieb, Steen, and Hamilton. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks. Hi, Nicole. Stephen's practice is focused on U.S. and international real estate finance and investment transactions. Representing a healthy group of named clients, Stephen has been recognized as a top real estate lawyer, including being listed as a 2015 Best Lawyer in America. Stephen, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into who you are personally? Well, I started my career many years ago in uh, Boston. I went to Harvard Law School and stayed for about a decade or so, and uh, I, um, I, I was practicing and learning, I should say, um, as a young lawyer in a boom period. That was a time when Boston was expanding enormously, um, and uh, um, the real estate business, as many people know, is quite cyclical, and that was most definitely an upcycle. I mentioned that, though it was many years ago, back in the 1980s, because I moved to New York in 1987 and um, a year or two later had a rude awakening because we uh, promptly went into a quite deep recession and that that recession was uh, somewhat analogously to the recent one with the fall of Lehman Brothers, a recession that was real estate centered. Uh, Not so much in terms of single family home mortgages, uh, but very broadly across the commercial real estate sector. And that was a... um, a scary time, of course, but it was also a time of great uh, professional education because I needed, I was forced to learn all about um, distressed circumstances, bankruptcy, uh, all the kinds of legal issues that arise when economies go south. And I think that, um, in retrospect, was, was uh, though challenging, a great professional opportunity for me uh, because it really taught me the um, the importance of developing intellectual flexibility. Stephen, at that point, did you have a mentor at your firm when you joined and someone that was able to help you through that process? Or was that something that you had to really work through on your own? I definitely had a um, very important mentor when I was in Boston, a man named Elliot Serkin, who still practices in Boston. Uh, but I did not have a mentor. I, I came to Cleary basically to start a real estate practice. And so um, I certainly developed a lot of professional um, uh, relationships and colleagues in the various groups, tax and corporate uh, in particular at Cleary, but none of them were my mentor because none of them knew what I did. And frankly, I did what they did. So now that was a period when I really needed to kind of figure it out on my own much more. And, um, you know, obviously that always carries a lot of uh, challenges. I, um, I, I participated quite a bit in those early years in bar association activities. I think that was um, sort of an alternative for me of developing mentors because I was able to learn from colleagues in other firms, both in New York and around the country. Uh, And that was kind of how I uh, substituted for not having a mentor. Stephen, which of your personal strengths or habits have really made you successful in developing business and gaining new clients for your firm? That's always a... um, challenging question to think about in oneself. I think that um, in the early years, I probably would have said something very um, conventional, uh, which was, you know, being smart, 
uh, working hard, applying yourself to whatever skills you have, and I mean applying your skills to whatever particular problem you have in, in front of you. I think over the years, um, what's what's uh, grown in importance for me um, is, in part, it's a function of the fact that uh, Cleary Gottlieb is a very um, internationally oriented law firm, and it was founded in in uh, um, both in New York and Paris at the same time, and now we have 16 offices around the world, and as a result, um, we have always, in our New York office, where I've always worked, um, represented a lot of foreign clients. And the significance of that is that I have uh, come to focus a great deal on uh, listening to clients who may be addressing a very similar problem to the prior client, but because they come from a different business culture, have a different set of concerns, of hot buttons, of questions. Uh, they have different um, uh, ways of working with lawyers. Um, and uh, obviously, we all understand as lawyers that we have to um, uh, you know, adapt to our, our clientele and respond to our clientele. But I think that in my particular case, working with people from so many different parts of the world really made me conscious of that dynamic at an earlier stage in my career than might otherwise have been the case. That's a great point. So when you work with lawyers that are starting out and you have the opportunity to really advise them on how to develop their sense, their their business sense, and, and just to be more, um, you know, to help them be more successful. Are there certain things that you take from that experience that you you know, can use to help guide them through their development and, and how they're developing their business skills and ability to, to listen more um, effectively? So I recently turned 65 and it prompted a lot of, uh, of thinking on uh, what should be my role at this stage, uh, especially in relation to younger lawyers. And it's probably made me more... Um, didactic and verbose than I already was. Uh, but uh, my approach um, has been to really try to uh, step back and um, explain, you know, why do we say whatever the clause may be in a contract? Why do we care about this? Uh, what are we trying to accomplish? I mean, <clears throat> young lawyers are, of course, struggling um, because legal education, especially when you're on the business or corporate side, doesn't really prepare you much, and not a criticism of law school, it's simply the way our legal education system has worked for more than a century. Uh, but it doesn't really prepare you and educate you much for um, the kinds of um, legal and intellectual questions uh, that you face when you work on a contract, uh, which is a lot of what I do, certainly. Uh, and um, it also certainly doesn't um, spend much time talking about how any given contractual issue may or may not relate to a given client's circumstance and its negotiation, you know, whatever that may be. Right. And I, and I think what I've gathered from other guests on Left Foot is that there's this idea when lawyers are first starting out that obviously because they're spending so much time becoming uh, strong at their particular area of law, that they spend a lot of time on the interpretation and, and trying to educate their clients on the law versus providing, quote-unquote, counsel. I agree with you, first of all, that, you know, we're all striving to provide counsel. I think that, that you know, many clients um, view working with lawyers as a necessary evil, that, um, 
you know, is uh, it's part of the path to uh, to uh, completion of a transaction or whatever the other business objective may be, um, and to get mired down in the technical details um, is absolutely of no interest to them whatsoever. So, Stephen, as I looked at your list of clients, and they are name clients, they are clients that most of our listeners uh, who are, of course, engaged in business would recognize. When you think about acquiring those those clients, were there particular circumstances or were there points in your career where you said, possibly when you came to New York to start this practice, that you know this is the way I'm going to work strategically to acquire a certain group of clients, a particular clients? Is there a strategy that you employed to really grow the practice at Cleary? This is a very popular question. Um, and uh, I, I actually find it um, difficult to answer. Uh, I think people... Uh, I, I think, first of all, traditionally, lawyers were not oriented uh, towards having these kinds of strategies. And I think, uh, you know, over the, uh, the years, since, certainly since I started practicing uh, back in the, in the 80s, that it, it's become a much more uh, uh, popular topic and a topic that lawyers struggle with a great deal. I think by personality type, uh, lawyers tend not to be uh, people who, uh, you know, come out of law school with that sort of uh, orientation, uh, and I think that makes it tougher. Uh, I also believe that there is um, a great deal of randomness as to where clients come from, and I think a lot of it is honestly nothing more when you boil it down than right place, right time. So in, in the example that I gave you before I moved to New York, I did not have New York connections um, at all. Uh, I became friendly with a um, an older uh, litigation partner who uh, dabbled in uh, bankruptcy, and he had a business contact um, who was part of the Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn. Um, I certainly had no connection to the Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn, uh, but it turned out that um, this particular uh, company had extended a... Uh, lot of credit in the form of subordinate debt uh, to some real estate investors. And so I spent the first, you know, several years of my life buried in the Orthodox Jewish real estate community, uh, a totally random event, uh, frankly, completely random. On the other hand, as I said before, it gave me a great education um, in dealing with distressed real estate, which I obviously used as we emerged from the recession in working on other areas. So another phase, if you will, that developed was our law firm um, was, uh, was strong in um, uh, the securities world. We represented a bunch of uh, investment banks and others involved in, in that world. And, and one of the consequences of the real estate recession was that investment banks decided that real estate uh, presented an opportunity. Uh, and so you know, they didn't know anything about real estate because they, they had frankly never had any real estate investment whatsoever in their portfolios. So they would ask their lawyers, who were securities lawyers, who also didn't know anything about real estate, gee, you know, we'd like to figure out how to do some real estate. Do you have anybody in your law firm who knows anything about real estate? So again, right place, right time. Uh, you know, I think over time, you try as much as you can to um, build on strengths. Uh, 
uh, that sh that your law firm has to move into new areas. So an example of that would be foreign investors are um, subject to a variety of of tax U.S. tax considerations that are different from domestic investors, and and they're different actually from a lot of other countries around the world in terms of how they affect foreign investors. So um, in a number of our international uh, real estate uh, uh, transactions and, and development of clients, the tax lawyers have been the entree. They knew things that were uniquely important uh, to, the, uh, uh, to, the, um, uh, to the clients. And so, you know, we spent a, a lot of time marketing uh, to uh, clients around the world by starting with the tax lawyers, starting by saying, this, this tax stuff, it's all gobbledygook, you're not going to understand it, but believe me, this is your point of entry. If you don't get this right, yeah, you can find a lot of good real estate lawyers, but you need to talk to us because we have the best tax lawyers. And so that's your classic example of cross-selling. Cross-selling makes sense in any given context, but I give that example, you know, it's been successful for us. Now, of course, everybody else is caught up. So it's, you know, we're not so unique anymore. That focus on foreign investment in U.S. real estate, that was very important in our particular firm. So I think part of it. So what's the moral of that story? You know, identifying what are your strengths, what are your connections, what are your cross-selling opportunities, and then trying to figure out which clients th that might be useful to. And therefore, how can you pitch, you know, that, that particular uh, opportunity? I think it's honestly, I think so much of it is random and unexpected. I think you have to be nimble on your feet. And I think you have to spend a lot of time listening to the market and looking for opportunities. I think it's a great response. And, and that idea that, you know, having that point of entry, and then from there, being able to position other services, because they make sense to the client, because there's something known about that client. It's interesting, you talked about coming to New York, getting to know a particular uh, lawyer within the firm, what would you suggest? I mean, if, if you have a, a new partner, possibly a lateral partner that's come into a firm or an associate who is, you know, a fifth year or really looking to really attack their business development responsibilities, what would you suggest is the best way for them to partner or, or work with a, a partner they want to learn from? I mean, are there particular things that a, a person starting out should really be doing so that someone is more willing to spend time with them and, and really guide them through this process? I think that maybe it seems obvious, but making yourself useful to other people, either in areas that they don't know as well, or that you know they're at a stage in their career uh, where they are more willing to uh, to delegate and have the help, um, you know, we'll often we'll often say to um, people who are like senior associates, for example, you know, your job with this client is to make the partner feel irrelevant, so that the client then relies on you, the younger lawyer, and only involves the partner when he or she feels that there's something of greater significance that you want the views of someone more experienced. But by and large, your job as the younger uh, lawyer, younger partner, whatever, is to make, make that client feel that they're safe with you, they can rely on you. And um, I think that mindset is very important uh, because I think that a lot of folks, as they're coming up the ladder, 
feel like, you know, their job is just to be, to report to the senior. Um, and that's part of the job, obviously. Uh, but I think it's a broader job. And I think a lot of it has to do with how you perceive yourself. Now, in some cases, it may be uh, the example I gave of my senior bankruptcy partner. I didn't know anything about bankruptcy. He didn't know anything about real estate. So I obviously brought something to, to the table that was useful for him. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in the case of the investment banking example I gave you, you know, you work with securities partners and tax partners who obviously they don't know anything about real estate, but they're being asked questions by their clients because clients are much less likely to divide, uh, to make intellectual boundaries among different areas of the law than lawyers are. Lawyers perceive, of them, perceive of themselves mostly. Some obviously are more generalist than others, but most people think of themselves as having a certain area of expertise. Clients don't have buckets of expertise which motivate them. They have a deal they want to get done. They have a securities offering they want to get done. They have an M&A transaction they want to get done. So for them, it's just an overall problem or goal. And so to uh, for, for the law firm involved, you know, being able to bring the relevant sources of expertise and effort together that is responsive to the particular issue that the client has in any given circumstance, transaction, lawsuit, whatever it may be, I mean, that's the law firm's job to figure that out. Clients have problems. You know, Stephen, you, obviously, Cleary Gottlieb is a very large firm. There are a lot of partners there. And I'm, I know you've had exposure to many partners in other parts of the world and have had the opportunity to hear about their their practices, their business, the clients that they're working with. In those conversations over all these years that you've been a partner, what have you heard that was very different, you know, that someone was doing specifically around business development, possibly in Paris or in, a, in another part of the world, that was very different than what you've experienced in building your business here in the States? I guess one issue, I'm not sure how relevant this is to answering your question, but one difference is that the uh, business and elite uh, political communities are smaller in, um, in many countries. Uh, you know, Paris, France is a, is a good example because, you know, in that world, there are you know, a handful of very important universities and a very large proportion of leaders in business, law, government, politics, what have you, have come out of those educational institutions. Uh, now, they're not all for you know, uh, children of aristocrats. In their, that, that, that particular system happens to be more meritocratic. But once you've gotten through that, you know, there really does seem to be uh, and it, you know, a, a community of elites that they all kind of know each other. We, we don't work that way. You know, we're much more um, uh, diverse uh, that way. So I think there are countries in which those um, uh, aspects of their kind of socioeconomic development just operate differently. Knowing someone usually, if all things are equal, will usually make a difference. You can at least get your foot in the door. So, Stephen, you have a lot of energy about your work. What do you enjoy most about your work? I, look, I think for you know the obvious uh, reasons that we've been discussing, I think a, uh, uh, there was much more emphasis in the early years in um, 
you know, mastering the technicalities, trying to develop, you know, as much skill and knowledge about as many different areas um, as I could. And obviously, a lot of that has to do with what clients happen to stumble in the door. But I've always enjoyed um, solving uh, hard problems um, and organizing uh, big messes. You know, in the uh, in the eighties, when uh, excuse me, in the early nineties, when commercial mortgage-backed securities uh, first began. Um, you know, we had these very large, very messy transactions, you know, often involving hundreds of properties and just the organizational mastery of those circumstances was a big challenge. Uh, so that probably was the focus of, um, of, of, you know, the first decade or so. Um, I, uh, um, I think that as time has gone on, I've focused my practice more on areas within real estate that are more negotiation dependent as opposed to, you know, large organizational challenges or, um, uh, I, I do less securities oriented transactions than I used to do. Um, and I have spent a lot of time helping younger lawyers develop organizational skills because that's something I prefer to delegate at this stage of my life. So, um, I guess I've gotten more interested in the negotiation dynamic and, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, my advice on what a client should care about versus other things that they should be willing to compromise. I really appreciate that answer. It's, uh, it's you know, reflecting back on how things have changed. So, Stephen, thank you. I, I so appreciate, and I know our listeners will, uh, hearing your thoughts on your career and on how you've practiced and, and on business development. Before we say goodbye, is there anything else you'd like to expand upon? Well, I'll give a minor example, <clears throat> but I think it reflects a larger issue. One of the other aspects of my evolution has related to uh, digital technology. I, I started as a lawyer um, before we had word processing and obviously way before we had email. Um, and I enjoy writing. So I think that, um, uh, especially in my earlier years, what er, er, early in the years of emails, um, I tended to write, um, fairly long, complicated emails. And, uh, over time I've really changed. But one of the things that I've also come to recognize in the younger generation, um, you know, no great surprise you know, a huge level of comfort with um, digital communication as distinct from uh, uh, telephonic, much less in-person communication. And one of the things that I have found myself uh, saying and doing for myself is telling young associates, stop emailing, pick up the phone. You know, there are certain kinds of communications, especially when you want to communicate to a big group, for which email is an amazing tool, incredibly efficient, without doubt. But there are other kinds of communications for which it's not as useful. And talking to a person and developing a relationship and understanding better than you're ever going to understand in, a, in an email exchange, what do they really care about? What are they worried about? What is their boss worried about? You just don't get that in an email. And honestly, there is... I mean, for example, when I call my, my children are, are in their 20s and they hate using 
the cell phone for phone conversations. They only want to text. And I mean, I get that. And I obviously understand that text is, texting is very useful in many respects, but it isn't the same as having a conversation. It's just not, you know, we're still human beings. And so I think that um, this is an area in which my attitudes have really changed significantly over time. And it relates to the broader point that we've been discussing of the importance of developing relationships. It's really tough to develop a relationship when you're only emailing. You know, I just think that as amazing and wonderful as all of our digital technologies are and will continue to be uh, over time even more impressive and more flexible and more vast in their powers, we just have, we are, we are advisors. That's what we do as lawyers. And you need to have a relationship in order to give good advice. I think that is a fantastic last point. And it's something I'm seeing in every business I'm involved in. We have young people that have focused so much on the devices and the ways that they communicate in all aspects of their life. And then we say to them, go out and connect with people and network and and really try to establish a relationship that could turn into business. And really the response is, I don't know how to do that, or I'm not comfortable doing that, or I've never done that because they've spent so much time so focused, you know, maybe out in their personal life they've done it, but they spent so much time focused on the technology. So how do we, you know, kind of help them to that next place by replacing, you know, what might be such focused uh, work through email, et cetera, with phone calls and with in-person interactions? It's, I think it's, a, it's quite a new dilemma, and it's one that, you know, will be with us until um, you know, there's probably more emphasis on it. Stephen, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. I really appreciate your insight, and I know our listeners will as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot.